pray. Father, I pray You would bless not only the reading, but also the proclamation of Your Word. Uh, May it uh, benefit our souls and drive us uh, again to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. One of the most discouraging features of the Christian life is our ongoing struggle with sin. Because we belong to Christ and we have experienced His love and we've experienced His care for us, it breaks our hearts when we sin against Him. Yet, we do so so very often. And additionally, because we have received such a glorious gift of His grace, we want to serve Him with the whole of our being. Yet we so often fail to do that. And so we are left to cry with the Apostle Paul, Oh, what a wretched man! Oh, what a wretched person I am! I aim this morning to address this discouraging feature of the Christian life, this ongoing struggle with sin. There's a lot of confusion as to why we continue to sin. And I believe that this confusion adds to our discouragement. We want to know why we act differently than what we believe. We want to know why God allows us to continue to struggle uh, so greatly and does not give us more victory in the Christian life. We want to know why our prayers don't help more in our ongoing struggle with sin. We want to know why it's so easy to become entangled in sin and why it is so hard to break a sinful habit. Hopefully, if I am able to clear away some of the confusion uh, and answer some of these questions, it might also clear away some of the discouragement that uh, we experience in the Christian life. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard. I remember telling the story um, many years ago, probably very soon after I came to Westminster. And because it's been so many years, I hope you'll indulge me if uh, you've heard it before and remember it. It's a story about clearing away confusion. The story goes like this. Uh, Dr. Krabendam, my former teacher at Covenant College, the man that I traveled to uh, Uganda with last year, he travels quite a bit and uh, is always in the airports, always traveling internationally. And he was uh, one time in the airport between flights, and you know how uh, outside the little snack areas they'll have several little tables and because the, the seating around these tables is never adequate for all the people, uh, it's commonplace for one person to come and sit with a complete stranger while you eat your snacks. Well, Dr. Krabendam was hungry, so he went and bought himself a Kit Kat bar from the concession. He sat down at one of these little tables and he began to read a book. And he had placed the Kit Kat bar on the table. And a woman, a stranger, came and sat down at the same table uh, with him. And after a bit, Dr. K put down his book, picked up his Kit Kat bar, opened it, broke, or broke off a piece, and ate a piece, and put the rest of the candy bar back down on the table. Uh, to his amazement, 
The woman then picked up the candy bar, broke off a piece, and began eating it and put the the, uh, candy bar back down on the table. And he thought to himself, well, if you've got two coats, give one away. So he didn't say anything to her. Um, He continued reading. After a bit, he picked up the candy bar, broke off another piece, and then the woman picked up the last piece of the candy bar and walked off. And he's uh, a bit puzzled about this, but he's also still hungry. (laughs) So he went back to the concession stand, bought a muffin. And so while he's paying for the muffin, he had put the muffin down, he's paying for it, this same lady walked up, she grabbed the muffin, took a big bite out of it, and put it back down on the counter and walked away. He didn't know whether to be perplexed and amused or angry. Well, eventually uh, came time for him to board his his, uh, flight. He's a frequent flyer, so he was up and got upgraded to first class. He's sitting there, situated on the plane, and he looks up, and guess who he sees entering the plane? The same lady. And she sees him, and she fixes her gaze on him, and he thinks, oh no. And she stops right at his chair, and she bends over to talk to him. And she said to him, I'm so embarrassed. I looked in my purse, and my Kit Kat bar was still there. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I tell that story to say that hopefully, that even though we still sin as Christians, Hopefully during this uh, next few minutes we'll be able to see the backstory. We'll be able to see why God allows us to continue struggling with sin even though we are His children. And maybe even we might have that aha moment that will help us to, to avoid the discouragement that leads to even more struggle in the Christian life. But rest assured, if you have an aha moment, uh, it will not eliminate the struggle. Rather, it will help you understand why you struggle and hopefully, in God's grace, give you the encouragement to keep pressing forward. It should not overly concern you that you have this struggle. It is common to the Christian life. Sometimes the struggle with sin can be so can so dominate our life that what we do is because we desire to be to repent of the sin, we desire to be holy, that we focus entirely on the sin and take our eyes off of Jesus, who is the goal of our faith. And so getting rid of our sin can become itself an idol that consumes all our energy and destroys all our joy. The goal of becoming more holy in fact, or can in fact become a hindrance to our growth in grace. And so uh, what I'm saying it is better to recognize your sin, confess it honestly to God, and then devote your energies to loving and serving Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ loves you in spite of your sin. He calls you His own in spite of your ongoing struggle with sin. See, Paul has the same struggle as we do, but he didn't allow his his struggle with sin to lead him away from his confidence in Christ. So look with me at verses 14 through 16 here in our passage. The Apostle Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, but it is good. And then going on down to verses 24 and 25, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of of death? Instead of growing so discouraged that, that he gives up, rather, he keeps his focus, his gaze, his attention on Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then to peek ahead into Romans 8 verse 1, to see that his confidence is squarely in Christ. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who do what they hate. There is no condemnation for those who uh, don't do the very good that they want to do. Romans 8, verse 1, where he says there is now no condemnation, covers all of his struggle with sin in verses 14 through 25. He doesn't lose his confidence in Christ because of his ongoing struggle with sin. He doesn't allow his ongoing struggle with sin to take his eyes, to take his gaze off of Jesus Christ. Look with me again at verse 14. He refers in verse 14 to his flesh. Now, he's not talking about his flesh and bones per se. So what does he mean by using this term flesh? Well, he further defines it in our passage. In verse 17, he says it is now... Uh, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So this flesh that he's talking about, he further defines as sin that dwells in him. He refers to it again in verse 20 in the same manner. In verse 21, he says this indwelling sin is an evil that resides in him. Verse 23, he calls this indwelling sin a principle inside him. That's when, he, when he's talking about the law, he's not talking about Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law in terms of a principle. Uh, I have this law in um, verse 23, the law of my mind. He's talking about the principle of my mind. Um, he's talking, uh, as he goes on, he's, he's talking about the principle of sin inside him. And this indwelling sin as a principle that's inside him, it wages war against his new nature in Christ. So Paul is speaking from his vantage point as a Christian. And he is saying, I still continue to sin. So that the very good I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing 
You know, the best definition of this indwelling sin that I've ever heard comes from John uh, Kerr. He says, This is one of the sorest trials of a renewed life, that it is built over dark dungeons, where dead things may be buried but not forgotten, and where through open grating rank vapors still ascend. See, the indwelling sin, or the flesh as Paul's talking about it here, is the rotting carcass of our spiritually dead hearts that Jesus Christ delivered us from when He brought us to Himself. As Christians, we are no longer dominated by sin so that we obey only its lusts. We are free in Jesus Christ. But there's this principle of indwelling sin, this rotting corpse of sin, that is still powerful and wages a furious war within us. It no longer has us by the nose and pulls us wherever it wills. Because greater is, is He who is in us, the Holy Spirit, than He who is in the world. But it is still a powerful force within us. This rotting corpse of sin is made up of old habits that we nurtured as non-Christians. It's made up of self-centered practices that uh, we spent years, those of us who became Christians later in life, um, putting into practice. It's made up of these prideful responses to our perceived response, to our perceived successes, and we could go on and on. This this old um, this old nature, this or rather this indwelling sin. Um, is made up, even though it's dead, it's made up of old practices and habits and, and sinful responses to God. And so young people, as you build your, 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 the foundations of your life, I know when I was a young person in high school uh, and then going away to college, you know, my idea was I will settle down and I will be right with God after college. And I built sinful habits and practices. And I want to warn you and urge you, don't take that attitude. Build godly practices. Seek the Lord while, while you're young. Um, the, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, avoid all the old habits and practices that uh, will plague you when you're older by, by seeking Him now. It will make your struggle with sin that much greater if you build habits um, now in your life that uh, you will later hate uh, so that um, that you cry out with Paul, the very thing I hate, that's what I keep on doing. Avoid it. This indwelling sin is powerful. It's so powerful that it creates a contradiction within us. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this contradiction. Verse 15, I do not understand my actions for what I do not, for I do what I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verses 18 and 19, he's still talking about this contradiction. For I know that nothing good 
dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want uh, is what I keep on doing. We love God because we have been redeemed. But there's a principle inside us that acts in the exact opposite manner. It's a real contradiction. It's a warfare that is being waged within our souls. Paul says in Galatians 5.17 that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a real warfare going on within us. Because this warfare, because this contradiction is so striking, it can, it can cause the confusion that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. You know, I love God, so why do I continue to sin? Paul experienced the same uh, confusion. Verse 15, For I do not understand what... Um, for I do not understand my own actions, he says. He struggled just as we struggle. Why do we keep sinning if we love God? So I urge you, don't let your confusion become a source of discouragement or hindrance in your Christian life. The confusion is typical of the normal Christian life. Sin's never normal. Sin's always a, 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 a result of our brokenness, our sinfulness. But at the very same time, it's a part of the normal Christian life because we are redeemed sinners. It shouldn't surprise us when we sin. This indwelling sin creates a constant craving within us. Look at verse 21. Paul says, So I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Well, it lies close at hand because it's within us, as he has said elsewhere in this passage. Indwelling sin is an, e- is an evil that lies inside us, that lives inside us even though it is dead. Therefore, it is, as Paul says, close at hand. It's always there. It's always pulling us against our new nature in Christ. We love God. We delight in obeying Him. We yearn to serve Him wholeheartedly. But indwelling sin is always there. Regardless of your age, whether you are seven or 75, older or younger or in between, it is always there as a restless evil within us. So what should we do? Well, several very practical um, and quick uh, applications. First of all, recognize the confusion. Don't become discouraged. Don't give up on the Christian life. Don't give up on the faithfulness of Christ to complete the good work that He began in you. It is my firm belief that you need to hear sermons and teaching on encouragement more than anything else. You know, 
you already know 99% of everything that I preach and I teach. But what you need and what I need is to hear the Gospel over and over and over again. To hear the Gospel of God's love over and over again so that the discouragement that comes upon us because we live in this broken world with the indwelling sin still within us won't overcome you. So, um, recognize the confusion. Secondly, uh, remember that you cannot overcome indwelling sin on your own. You can practice self-discipline. You can strive to be moral. But if you are not doing it out of an, out of an awareness of your extreme neediness, your extreme neediness of God's grace, then you are doing nothing more than putting frosting on a mud pie. The kindness that God calls us to, the humility, the unselfishness, the love that you are to express towards God, towards your neighbor, even towards your enemy, is not something that we are able to produce on our own. Indwelling sin, which is a principle of selfishness inside us, is only overcome by God's grace. It is only overcome as a fruit of God's grace. And so my, my exhortation to you is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Nurture your love for Him. Build your trust in Him. Spend time meditating on His gracious death on the cross for us. Spend time processing the implications of His resurrection from the grave for us. Spend time in prayer thanking Him for His glorious salvation and His unconditional love. Spend time loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And these ongoing sins, uh, the power of the indwelling sin, will... Um, will grow, it, or, or it will shrink in comparison. It will continue to sin, but His power will grow less and less as your love and your dependence upon Christ grows stronger. Now where many people get uh, derailed is that when they do sin... And what they do is they stay away from God out of shame. Or they question the sincerity of their faith. But God knows our struggle with sin. It is no surprise to Him that we struggle. He knew the struggle that we would have even before He elected us to be His own. He knew every sin that we would commit before He drew us to Himself. Nothing is hidden from God. In fact, the Bible teaches that God allows sin to continue even in His children so that we will always remember our need for Him. And when you do sin, instead of trying to hide from God, instead of being so ashamed that you um, don't confess your sins, rather, you have a God who knows you, who loves you, you can crawl up into His fatherly lap and tell Him how sorry you are and you can know that He will always forgive you. He did not send His Son to the cross to then be stingy with His grace toward us. And then lastly, 
Remind yourself often of Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. One of the old Puritans was preaching through the book of Romans, and he lingered in chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 for, for quite some months. Finally, one of the members of the congregation uh, got a little uh, impatient and approached the pastor and said that he was ready to graduate from Romans 7 into Romans 8. He wanted to leave behind the the ongoing sin of Romans 7 and, and experience some of the victory of Romans 8 because his soul was being depressed as he heard about ongoing sin. And the pastor said to him very wisely, you will not be able to, grow, to graduate into Romans 8 without first understanding the deep humility that comes from understanding Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. As we struggle with sin, don't let it be a source of confusion that leads to disillusionment and to discouragement, but rather use it as a reminder to humble yourself and realize just how much you need the grace of God and how willing He is to continually pour His grace into your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this glorious passage of Scripture because um, I know um, many have been in the same place that, that I have been where I feel like I am such a sinner that, uh, that You would not love me or receive me and yet we see the Apostle Paul um, confessing frankly his sinfulness so that the very thing he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the very thing he hates, that's what he ends up doing. And yet he fixes his gaze on Jesus Christ because he knows that Jesus has fixed his gaze upon Paul and loved him and gave himself up for him and likewise has loved us and given Himself up for us. So we pray in His name. Amen.